Hey, I am very excited to be up here today um, as, as we kind of launch into our Good Life series. And again, if we have not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Clayton York, and I have the privilege to run the young adult ministry here at the church. Look, y'all, God is doing some incredible things in our young adult ministry. And here in two weeks, September 7th, it is a Thursday night, we are having a massive kickoff for our young adult ministry. And so we're gonna have food trucks, we're gonna have uh, a merch drop, and then a couple of my really good friends from Vertical Worship, if you guys listen to that band, they're gonna be playing here live. And so this is an opportunity where you can sneak in if you want to. Here's how. We need volunteers and we need help that Thursday night. And so if you're trying to decide right now, sitting in your seat, if you are in between the ages of 18 to 35, uh, or if you consider yourself a young adult, please find me after service and I'll help you decide whether you're that age or not, okay? Um, But if you do want an opportunity to come volunteer, uh, we would love to have you. There will be a young adult tent, actually, that we have on the patio. We've got a sign-up sheet. This is your chance, y'all. This is your chance to sneak in and see some Good worship, have a, have a blast. There's gonna be food. It's gonna be an incredible, incredible launch to our young adult ministry. Again, September 7th, it's a Thursday night. It starts at seven o'clock. Um, I'm ready for this weekend. I'm ready for this weekend. I'm ready to see and excited to see what God is gonna do during this service. Hey, look, if you've got um, a good life journal, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull it out because this is the place where you're gonna be taking notes during this message and the messages from here on out while we're in this series. If you don't have this journal, you should get one because recent statistics show, if you actually look it up, you're 95% more likely to get into heaven if you have one of these journals. So do yourself a favor, go snag one of these on your way out so you can keep up to date with us um, and start taking notes. Um, I like to have fun. Who said said the Bible can't, can't be fun? And so we're gonna have some fun this morning and we're gonna dive into God's word and see what his word has to say about the very first fruit called love. So check this out. Galatians 5.22 is our key verse, and it says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And today we get to talk about the first one in that list, which is love. So before we dive in, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I want to know what love is. Come on, don't be shy. Turn to your second choice that you don't like as much and say, I want you to show me. (laughs) Love it. Y'all, there's a a ton of scriptures. Um, There's a ton of scriptures that talk about what love is and what love looks like. But in our culture, in the Americanized Western culture, very rarely do we turn to what the word says about love and what love looks like. Instead, we turn to what media and culture says about it. And when someone tries to help us see love in a biblical perspective, we run back to what we think love looks like based on how we feel and what we've seen. Here's how I'm gonna demonstrate this. I'm going to begin saying something or singing something, and when I stop, I need you to take over for me, okay? This is a crowd participation kind of morning, so I hope you're you're ready for it. I hope you have your coffee or your energy drink. Here we go. Y'all ready for this? You've lost that love and feeling. I'm not a singer. Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, good job, guys. Okay, what about... 
What about this one? You ready? Shot through the heart, and you're to blame. Hey, don't point at me. I'm not the one that gave you that. <laughs> Y'all pointed directly at me. The reason we know these songs, the reason they're very familiar, and even young people in this room are singing these songs is because it's what we run back to. When it hurts, when it's tough, and it's familiar, this is the stuff that we know. This is the stuff that we go back to. These songs become false truths that we run to, like this one. I'm just going to say it, and I want you to repeat or say, say the very next thing that comes. You ready? What is love? Well, there was a little confusion there. <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Did you catch that? In our society, friends, love and pain are synonymous. Because we've had relationships and friendships that we thought were based on authentic love, but they actually never really were. What we desire, what you and I both desire, is to love and be loved by a love that won't hurt us or leave us or forsake us. So what we really want is Jesus. So we try to find all of his attributes in life rather than what God's word has to say about it. Love, my friends, is a choice, not a feeling. So what is real love? And how are we to love each other and portray and experience the fruit of the spirit that is love in the way God intended it to be? Thank you guys for asking. That's where we're gonna go this morning. Well, if we walk across the pages from Galatians 5 directly into Galatians 6, we get to see and get a pretty good understanding of what this love looks like. But before we get there, I, wanna, I just want to briefly look at what Jesus says about it first, because this is a very powerful verse, and this is love demonstrated at its finest. John 13, a new command I give you to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are disciples, are my disciples, if you love one another. So what does genuine, real, authentic, fruit of the spirit love look like? As we start this series today, Paul shares the importance of exactly that. So if I could give you one thing to take with you from today, if you're a note taker, write this down because I'm gonna be nailing this a lot. How you love, who you love, will show his love or won't. Again, how you love, who you love, will show his love or won't. This is, this is more about becoming love rather than just doing love. And you're gonna hear us say this all throughout this series. It's more about becoming rather than just doing. And so if you've got your Bibles this morning, do me a favor. Um, we're gonna be in Galatians 6. If you've got your iPhone, you can open the Bible app and follow along there. If you've got your Androids, do me a favor. On the way out, there will be trash cans in the lobby and near the parking lot. You can go ahead and toss those there. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Joking that you have an Android. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's pray. God, um, Lord, would you just give us a clearer understanding of what love, genuine, real, authentic love looks like. God, I pray that we would have a clear understanding of scripture, uh, an elevated understanding of scripture this morning. Um, God, would you instill in us this love that we read about, that we could practice and pursue that. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Amen. Galatians 6, starting in verse one, says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome, overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Look, and before we move on, this, this love that we're talking about is meant to help each other out of the hardest moments and build each other up because how you love, who you love, will show his love or won't. He goes on to say, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Real, authentic, biblical love is what we all long for, that God literally put it in our DNA. And that is found in real, authentic, biblical community. How we, how we do life with each other. What doing life with each other genuinely looks like. We were never meant to do life alone. You were never meant to do life alone. I was never meant to do life by myself. We were meant to live connected to one another. And community is something that we all long for, but one of the hardest things to achieve. I'm not talking shallow, surface-level relationship community. I'm, talk, I'm talking deep-rooted, fight-for-each-other-at-all-costs type of community. I'm talking about the fruit-of-the-spirit-love type community. We all long for it and want it, yet when we get it, a lot of times it's the hardest thing to hold on to. Why is that? Because again, we equate love to feeling rather than it being a choice. And when we feel hurt by people, we choose to abandon community because it's what we've experienced. We've experienced fake love. Because of this, the enemy is at war with community. Y'all know that? The enemy is at war with community. He doesn't want you to have it, and he doesn't want me to have it. The first thing he did was try and destroy community. Not, not only was the community between man and God tainted from the beginning, but so it was with Adam and Eve as well. The enemy wanted nothing more than to divide and separate what God had joined together. God created them, Adam and Eve, to live in the garden and, 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 and love and be loved by one another. And it was a perfect, beautiful, and good love. So good, in fact, that my boy Adam, he decided to write Eve a love poem because he loved her so much. And he says this. He says, bone of my bone, scandalous, I know, and flesh of my flesh. He says, you came for me, and I am for you, and we are to do life together. So Satan saw that relationship, y'all, and wanted to break it apart. So he took the truth of God, okay, and twisted a few words to make a good thing look bad. And now what God had joined together, the enemy wanted to separate. The things we believe, the things that you and I believe we tend to follow. And if Satan can make you believe a lie, then he can, he can make you stay away from the truth, okay? Watch this. I'm gonna do something. And on the count of three, I want everybody to close their eyes. And when you close your eyes, I'm gonna say a word. And I want you to think of the first thing 
that comes to your mind, okay? And don't cheat. If you're caught cheating, I'm gonna bring you up here and you're gonna sit on stage, okay? Back to, back to kids' ministry. All right, I'm not gonna count to three. Just close your eyes. I trust you guys. I hope I can trust you guys. Okay, you ready? Dog. Big dog. <laughs> Scary dog. Mean dog. Okay, now open your eyes. How many of you guys saw the same dog four times? Anybody? How many of you guys saw a different dog four times? Anybody see their own dog? <laughs> some of you guys have some mean dogs. Anybody see Snoop Dogg? Anybody? A couple of people. <laughs> what, I what I just did was I said something and put a picture in your head that you didn't even know was going to be there. So why do you think Satan tries so hard to camp out in our minds? Because he'll take a word, twist its meaning, and make you believe it's wrong. Like this. Love. Love is all but real. You, you've been hurt by love. And since you've been hurt by love, you don't want it. And since you don't want it, you can't give it. And since you can't give it, love is fake. There's no fruit in love. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You get to choose what you believe. He doesn't get to tell you what you believe. So don't let the enemy tell you that love is fake. You have the opportunity to show him what love really looks like. Why? Because how you love who you love will show his love or won't. The enemy is at war with love. And the way he goes to war is exactly what he did with Adam and Eve. He takes the truth, twists it, and creates a lie. If you're, writing, if you're taking notes, write this down. The enemy will always present a false enemy to distract you from fighting himself. He doesn't want you to believe that it was actually him that did it. So he's gonna pin it on whatever it is you're following or running after to make you believe what he's trying to get you to believe. The enemy will always present a false enemy to distract you from fighting himself. And to him, the best way to make that happen is to get us to give up on each other. And if we give up on each other, then he's distracted us from John 13, 34, which says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so with that, what I wanna do is I wanna share two lies, two love lies that we believe that might keep us away from loving God as God intended, the fruit of the spirit that is love, how God intended it to be. So here's, here's these two lies. I want you to write them down. Um, if, you're, if you're taking notes, write this in your journal. If you're taking notes, write it in your iPhone. If your neighbor's not taking notes and you want them to take notes, just write it on their forehead. So when they get up in the morning, they see it in the mirror, right? That's what my wife does with me. Um, lie number one is this. Love lie number one is this. I'm fine on my own. Tell the person next to you, I'm fine on my own. Say it just like that with attitude. Tell them, come on. Y'all are 2D people. I'm fine on my own. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, you're not fine on your own. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, imagine anybody in this room has any reason to venture into this area of Arizona. But with that being said, I, I live about an hour away from here. And um, has anyone ever 
here driven down Ellsworth lately? Ellsworth, like over in Queen Creek, Eastmark area? Okay, well, let me tell you something about Ellsworth if you haven't. There's been construction on Ellsworth for about 365 years, and it's still not done. And um, so much so that literally between the hours of like 4 p.m. and 8 p.m., the Holy Spirit says, nope. I'm out of Ellsworth, right? Just hands it over to the enemy. And so I, I live over in that area. Um, and I remember coming home from work one day and I have to take Ellsworth to get to my house. And so um, I get off the freeway, hop onto Ellsworth and I, I look down and I'm like, it's traffic upon traffic upon traffic upon traffic. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna do it different today. Um, and so I turned off Google Maps, and I, I could have I asked Google to take me a different alternate route, but I know where I'm going. I'm a big boy. I can do this. I know where I live. So I start driving, and then I turn down Germain, um, and I'm, I'm like listening to my music, y'all. I'm vibing in the car, and people are like, yeah, this guy's got it going on. I want to be like him when I grow up. Nobody ever thought that, but that's what I thought. And so I'm driving down Germain. And I know I have to take a left to get to my house. And so I take a left and I'm still like, you know, I'm just like loving where I'm at in life. And about 40 minutes later, um, 40 minutes later, my wife calls me and says, hey, where are you? I said, I don't know. And, and then she said, well, I do. You're in Apache Junction. We don't live anywhere near Apache Junction. I was like, dang it. I, I could have easily... I could have easily just typed into Google, hey, take me an alternate route, and Google would have just let me, taken me straight there. But I knew where I, I knew where I was going. And that route led me to back roads and alleyways and places that I never intended to be. Um, listen to this. Be careful to not let the world tell you what love's, love looks like because when you listen to something other than what God's word says, you will find yourself on back roads and alleyways you were never intended to go. And then we're isolated and by ourselves and we wonder, how did I get here? How did I end up somewhere I was never intended to be? I'm fine on my own, we tell ourselves. Some people say, I, I don't, we don't need premarital counseling. We can do this by ourselves. We've seen it modeled before. Just check out the movies. Or I can drown my feelings in alcohol. Like I've, I've, I've been there before and I just forget everything. I'm good on my own. Or I can experience love through porn. It's what everyone else is doing. Or I don't need a dog. I'm good with a cat. Like those lies, guys, we can't give in to them. All right? We can't give in to those lies. I'm just joking. Maybe. Um, the world will tell you that isolation is okay and that we're better alone, which has driven us so far away from loving each other. We've chosen to follow the patterns of this world rather than God's word. So what's ended up happening is we've been discipled and disciplined by the culture of this world. World culture says this. Don't invest into people. They're fake, dishonest, and will always let you down. But kingdom culture says, owe no one anything except to love one another. The world says, you're fine on your own. You don't need people in your life. But the Bible tells story after story of family and friendships and relationships that, that love has joined together. The fruit of the spirit that is love 
the, the, the love that the Bible talks about. Jesus even said that there is no greater love than that they would lay down their life for their friends. That's love, people. So back to Galatians and Paul's writings. Um, if, if, if you were just to step outside of Galatians 5 and even 6 and just read the things that Paul writes, you would understand and get a better, um, a, a better perspective of what love genuinely looks like. Does anybody have, for example, does anybody have um, that one friend? You know what I'm talking about. That, that one friend that's just like always happy all the time. It's like they could be in the worst spot of their life. I'm like, <laughs> God's good all the time and all the time God's good. And they're like, hey, I love, I love every day. And you're like, would you just cry once in your life, right? We all have that one friend. Paul is that one friend. He is always looking at the brighter side of life, sending greetings out to people saying, hey, tell everyone I'm praying for them, that I'm thankful for what God's doing and I'll be there with you. Like he, Paul is that guy. And if we look into the things that Paul writes, we can get a better understanding of this love that we talk about. Um, Paul knew how important the body of Christ and community truly was, stopping at nothing to share the gospel, love everyone, and do life together. Check this out, Galatians 6. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Everyone catch that word? Compare yourself, okay. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Comparison kills community. Comparison will kill the community around you if you're, if you're just caught trying to do what everyone else is doing or have what everyone else is having. Comparison kills community. Verse six says, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Write this down. You cannot read scripture and come to the conclusion that you are fine on your own and don't need people. You can't do it. You won't find it in scripture. It's nowhere. The Bible tells us over and over how important loving each other is, but the enemy will tell you that you're fine on your own and don't need people. That right there is coming from two different places, okay? That lie is coming from two different places, and the first one is just straight out pride. Let's go back to what Paul says in Galatians 6, 3. He says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. He goes on to say this in verse seven and eight. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sin for nature. Pride, family, pride, friends, tells you that you don't need community, that you should do life yourself with nobody else. Pride says, you do you, and I'll do me, and we can do that separately. That's what pride tells you. And if you live only to satisfy yourself, you will have a hard time understanding the fruit of the spirit that is love. So the first one is pride, and the second one is Protection. Clayton, what do you mean by protection? The most common reason we go into protection mode is because we've been hurt by someone or something in our past. We weren't shown love, so we don't give love out of the protection of reoccurring things that could possibly come up again. Maybe that was a failed relationship. Maybe that was the loss of someone close. Maybe that was church hurt, small group hurt, relationship hurt, or quite possibly the worst one of all, cardinal hurt, which is the pain from such a terrible football team that you don't know how to love sports anymore. <laughs> Side note, 
First service, there was a Cardinals player here, and I didn't know what to do with myself when I said that. I literally ran out to the parking lot and apologized. He will be back next week, so we're on good terms. Um, <laughs> the list goes on and on and on, though. Um, and so what we do is we show up on the weekends, and you hear us talk about love and the fruit of the Spirit and tell you that community matters, and your only response is, no, it doesn't. I've been hurt before. And that's not coming from a place of pride or rebellion, but protection. And listen to this, y'all. Protection in and of itself is not a bad thing, but too much of it can be. Um, I was driving in the uh, car with my wife a couple, couple months ago, and I was going over this illustration with her, talking about like, man, protection can send us into um, this I'm good on my own kind of attitude. And she goes, yeah. Yeah, she's like, she's hyping me up. She's like, yeah, babe, that's the best thing I've ever heard. I was like, keep, keep saying that. And so she, she said this. She said, it kind of reminds me of my cut. Because <laughs> she's the cutest little thing, and that's what she sounds like. Um, she said, it kind of reminds me of my cut. Side note, um, we used to own horses. We don't anymore because thousands of dollars. And um, so we got rid of them. And I remember she, she was trying to lead her horse out um, of the stall one day. And he just decided that he wasn't gonna have it and took off. And so the rope just gave my wife this gnarly open wound on her finger. And so we go to the store and we buy Band-Aids. Side note, has anyone gotten the, the Band-Aid box that says, keep the Band-Aid on for three days and after three days, your wound will be healed. That's a lie of a box. That does not happen. We got the box, she put the Band-Aid on her finger and after three days, the wound was bigger and grosser and more moist and wet than it was previously. And so took it off, um, couple days go by. My, my wife says, this, this reminds me of my cut. I said, babe, what are you talking about? She said, well, when I had the band-aid off, it was protected. My cut was protected from any debris or outside thing that could get in. Yes, but it slowed the healing process down. She said, when I took the band-aid off, it was exposed and vulnerable to everything else around it, but it sped the healing process up. And I looked at my wife and I said, you're going to preach on Sunday, not me, <laughs> Right? What you've got to understand is that, that kind of protection. She, she needed to take it off in order to let the healing process truly begin. If you protect something for so long, you will deprive it of what it needs most. Don't cover yourself up from people simply because you've been hurt by people. Be the difference you never experienced and love people regardless of people, okay? How you love who you love will show his, thank you. I'm gonna use my sweat rag now. I've never done that. How you love who you love will show his love or won't. So love line number one, I'm fine on my own. And love line number two is this. Love shouldn't cost me. Love shouldn't cost me. Galatians 6, verse nine. Paul says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whoever, I mean, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Paul says, don't grow weary of doing what? Yet even while we're doing good, we can still get worn out. Listen, friends, even when you're worn down and struggling and in one of the hardest places of your life, don't give up on doing good. Jesus says, Love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. 
But the problem is that you and I, the problem is that we get confused and believe that loving each other shouldn't cost me anything, especially pain. It should be easier than this. Why? Because we equate ease with good and comfortable with right. So when it's not easy, it's not right or comfortable. How many, how many people in here like binge-watching TV shows? Anybody? Yeah, me neither. What a stupid question to ask. Um, we've all seen, we've all, we've all watched TV shows before. And I'm going to tell you this. You know just as much as I do that the majority of them are all created around people, a problem, and love, right? And at the end of every episode, somehow everything just winds up perfect and you love everybody in the episode again. That's why you love Lucy, I love Lucy, and we all love Lucy, right? Because we see conflict resolve itself in 30 minutes. We think it should be that easy. And so we see that and we get confused in real life when conflict isn't resolved within a single episode. So we give up on each other when struggle is involved because it costs us too much. Too much time, too much effort, too many apologies, too many attempts. It costs way too much. Paul says, don't grow weary or tired of doing what is good. Man, but Clayton, you don't get it, man. You don't, you don't understand. I hear you saying all of this stuff, but you don't get where I've been. Paul doesn't know where I have been. I have tried community. I've taken people out to coffee. I've been honest and vulnerable and transparent. You don't get it. Nothing has worked out for me. It's cost way too much. And for some of us, y'all, the struggle is around the fact that we've been hurt before we actually have to face the facts that we might actually have to trust people again. And that can be hard, I get it. But oftentimes, pain is what leads to the biggest breakthrough. Has anyone in here ever run a marathon before? Any of my marathon people, raise your hand. Couple people, that is awesome, you are full crazy. Um, anybody run a half marathon? <laughs> You're just half crazy. I, um, I have a lot of respect for people that run that far mainly because I just don't understand it and wish I could. And so my wife was training for a half marathon um, about a year ago. And you need to understand something. We just went through one of the hardest seasons of our life. Um, some of you guys have heard me talk about that before from stage. And so we were in the middle or on, on the backside of this season that was just vastly different than any other season and very difficult to endure. And she said, I'm gonna train for a half marathon. And I was like, you do it, you do it. I'm, I'm, I'll be your support, of course, during this. So she trains for this half marathon for months. And um, it's hard, it's painful. And then it gets to the day of the half marathon. So we drive to Sedona. Yes, the half marathon was in Sedona. Up the hills, down the hills, up the hills, down the hills. And um, I'll never forget, I, I, was, I was standing on the, the finish line, just waiting for my wife to come. And I was like, she's gotta be here somewhere. I'm like, I'm like the husband that's like pacing back and forth. Like my wife's coming, I know she's coming, she's gonna do it. Might not be first place, but she's gonna be here. And so I remember watching her get to the finish line. And y'all, it was like one of the most emotional experiences of my life. I went into full husband mode and, and, and proud mode and I threw the barricades that are supposed to hold us apart apart and I ran to the finish line and I hugged her and I was like, oh my, oh my gosh, babe, you did it. And she's like, why are you crying? Now I'm crying. I was like, let's just cry together. And I was just so happy. I was so happy because I saw her accomplish something that she shouldn't have been able to do. That all odds would have said, you, you can't do this. 
You're not, you're not good enough to do this. Do you know what you just went through? A week before the race, she was laying on the kitchen floor, sprawled out after a nine-mile run. She said, I can't do it. I can't do this. This hurts. It's too painful. But for my wife, there's no plan B. She was always gonna do the run. So many of us know what plan A is. For her, that half marathon was always plan A, regardless of what it costs. So many of us know what plan A is. But we would rather live by our own plan B because it costs less, right? We know we should love each other because the Bible tells us to. But it isn't worth it because sometimes it just hurts. God's plan A from the start was always love. It was for us to love him and for us to love each other. There is no plan B. But you will never experience God's plan A until you burn your plan B. You should have nothing to go back to but everything to run to. The fruit of the spirit that is love, to love one another genuinely and authentically is hard. It will cost you, but the pain is worth it. How you love who you love will show his love, or it won't. Jesus knew this better than anyone as we come to a close. Jesus knew this better than anyone. He was wronged and hurt by the very people that he was closest to, yet never stopped loving people. They lied to him, sold him out, beat him, mocked him, stripped him, didn't believe in him and hated him. And the pain that he experienced was just as real as any pain you and I feel. Actually, in fact, in Matthew 26, we see this portrayed as we see Judas, a man that Jesus was very close to, a man that Jesus did life with, sell him out for silver. And later on, we see Peter, one of his closest companions, deny him three times. And after both of these things happened, when the struggle was real and pain was intensifying, something wild takes place. Check this out. The night before Jesus is to be crucified. Go to that story with me. In your mind, would you picture this? The night before he's to be crucified. Matthew 26. It says, Jesus went with them. Who is them? His community, his disciples, the ones that he loved. Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane and said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter, the one who would soon betray him, and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul, listen to this, he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. For a moment, y'all, if you read this story, it's almost as if Jesus was saying, Father, love shouldn't cost me this much. But Jesus loved you and I so much so that, that in order to demonstrate authentic biblical love and all of its intention, it would need to be modeled in a way that not only cost him something, but everything. 
And in order for that to happen, it cost him his life. The fruit of the spirit that is love, the one Paul begins all nine of them with, is love for a reason. Because all of the other fruit is really an outgrowth of love. You can't have peace without first having love. You can't have patience without first having love. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains yet not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. I want you to do something. If you look at your life right now, I'm gonna do it with you. If you look at your life right now, the things of most value are the things that cost the most. I'm not talking money type of cost. For instance, I think of my own life. Marriage and ministry are by far the most rewarding, fulfilling, and most life-giving things in my life, yet simultaneously the hardest things I've ever done. Marriage, it does not minimize my problems, but it maximizes my dysfunctions as a leader, and that is hard. It involves struggle, it's difficult, and it's not easy, but it's rewarding. Did you guys know that there's a, there's a secret to marriage? If you didn't know that, there's a secret to marriage. Um, all throughout scripture, all throughout Old Testament, we see people offering sacrifices to God at an altar, right? As, as, a, as a form of respect and reverence and awe because he deserves it. And so they would offer up these sacrifices and place them on an altar. Did you know that marriage is done at an altar? It is two people getting together and saying, you know what? I am sacrificing all that I have to you because I love you. So marriage and then ministry is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And if I could be honest with you right now, there have been times more so in the past year that I've just wanted to say, forget it. I'm done with it. I'm done doing ministry. People have hurt me. Churches have hurt me. It's fake. It's not real. I've wanted to toss the towel in. Ministry is hard. It's difficult. It costs. But it's the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. Is I get to see broken people just as myself come running or crawling to the cross saying, God, I owe you everything. I love my marriage and I love my ministry. And both of those things in my life require the most sacrifice. They cost me, but they're worth it. So, back to where we started. Back to the first question I asked you. What is love? Watch this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And so the question 
I beg of you this morning is to ask yourself, what does love look like? And do you show the fruit of the spirit that is love to other people? I want you to insert your own name into what we just read. So it would read a lot like this. Clayton is patient and kind. Well, for people that know me, they would understand patience is not my strong suit. That's counted out. Clayton is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. I already made fun of you cat people and droid people this morning, so I am very rude, I understand. Not jealous of you, but definitely a rude thing for me to say. Clayton does not demand his own way, which is why I'm not making eye contact with my wife right now, because she would tell you something different. Clayton is not irritable. He keeps no record of being wrong. He does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices. You get the point. Which of these statements do you need to work on the most? Love is not an emotion. It is not a, fe- it is not a feeling. It is not chemistry or attraction. It is a choice. Love is a choice. Do you think Jesus hung on the cross because he felt like it? No, he chose it. The true definition of love and relationship is found at the cross. And the choice of love, the choice to love, the fruit of the spirit that is love, demonstrated, is what will keep love going. And so I encourage you today, leave this place and love as God intended it. Because I guarantee you, whether you're at Starbucks, grocery store, the gas station. It's very true. And Jesus says that they will know you by how you love. Because how you love, who you love, will show his love or it won't. God, we thank you for and who you are. The fact that we can go to our roadmap, your word, the Bible, and understand what genuine, real love looks like. God, I pray that we would leave this place changed. God, I I pray that we would love people in our houses, in our environments, in our workplaces. God, that we would love those that we have a hard time loving because you call us to it. God, would would you allow us to see that there is no plan B in that? God, you're good, and we thank you for being good. God, you... You are the true definition of love and we cannot truly love if we don't truly understand your son, Jesus. Would you draw us closer to who he is? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.